Christmas. It means many different things to many different people. But if you condense the many meanings of Christmas down to just one simple truth, you'll always end up with four words. Over and over and over again. Four words. God is with us. The holy God of Israel, wrapped warmly in humanity, is crying real tears in a real city with real parents who are trying their best to take it all in. God is with us. He's on our planet, on our countryside, in our manger. Emmanuel, the very name the angel speaks, is now given to Jesus because God is with us. Fast forward 2,000 years. The four words that changed history can now change us. Those four words are the only words that can bring meaning to the deepest places of our hearts. For the woman whose husband walked out on her and who continually struggles to pick up the pieces. For the elderly couple who can no longer care independently for themselves and who must now rely on the care of others. For the man who watches as all of his friends get married off and who painfully wonders if there's any woman out there who will ever take an interest in him. For the person who is seeking truth and looking hard at Jesus as a possibility. You are not alone. You never have been and you never will be. Because God in Christ wrapped himself in human flesh stepped out of eternity and into time and chose a cave in Bethlehem to communicate one simple, abiding truth. God is with us. And those four words have the power and the beauty to change every waking moment. Emmanuel, God is with us. Last Lord's Day, we began our focus on the person of Jesus Christ as we do each year at this time, because he's the one whose birthday professing Christians profess to celebrate and honor during this time of the year. I've entitled a short series of messages, Do You Know Who, not what, but do you know who, or what you got, rather, for Christmas? Do you know who or what you got for Christmas? My intention being to remind you of the pre-existent nature and character of Emmanuel before he was with us. He came to us as Jesus of Nazareth, but he was before he became Emmanuel, God with us. That's why I gave the subtitle to the message, Christ Before Christmas. My intention is to cause us to think about this person, Jesus Christ, because I believe that we as Christians especially have done a disservice to God when it comes to Christmas. We've actually put them on the back burner in the closet on the side while we do our own thing. That's why our focus is on Jesus Christ. We focused on the awesome fact that before he was God with us, he was the eternal son of the eternal God. That's who he was before he was Emmanuel, God with us. He was the eternal son with the eternal God. 
And so today, continuing with our focus on the Christ of Christmas, I've entitled the message, Unto us a child is given, the eternal son of the eternal father. The eternal son of the eternal father. He was God with us as the eternal son long before he became Emmanuel. I want you to focus on that for a moment. And so the ch today, we're going to look at another perspective. Now we're going to see him as the amazing child of Christmas. The amazing child of Christmas. We actually could have given the message another title. We could have asked a question, what child is this? In line with the song. What child is this? This is a question of amazement, of wonder, of awe. What kind of a child is this that we celebrate on Christmas? Do we really think about that at all? The gift that we got on that first Christmas? Now I'm sure that all parents are convinced without question that their children are the most unique children that have ever been born. You look at that child and say, boy, nobody's ever been born like you. I remember when Cindy and Sandy were born. They will shoot me for saying this because I've said it before, but they look like little piglets. <laughs> Small, pink, just, you know, like wiggly. And I said, they, they are unique. No one else like these. But we look at our children and we thank God for them and we say, boy, there's no one else like you. We looked at them and we do not know what our child will become. We have great expectations, but we really don't know. And so we look ahead with great anticipation to the birth of our children. It's mixed with a great degree, I believe, also of anxiety and concern to see what exactly this child will become. We don't know, have no idea. But this was not true in the case of Jesus Christ when he was born. At the birth of the child of Bethlehem, all that needed to be known about the child was revealed from the very beginning, some even before he came. Two ordinary Jewish young people but faced with parenting the most astounding, amazing, and wonderful child the world will ever see. A child whose life was already clearly laid out and delineated to them from the time of birth, unlike any other child. Perhaps the only child who comes close to what was known about him before he was born was John the Baptist. Much was said about him before he actually was born. Questions were in the minds of the people concerning John the Baptist. In Luke 166, the people who heard about this unique child asked a question, 
What manner of child will this be? Talking about John the Baptist. What manner of child will this be? It was still somewhat unclear, even in the case of John. Though much was said about him, forerunner of the Messiah. Be born of a couple who had never expected it. Much was said. But the child born after John the Baptist is far more unique, even than John. So many astonishing and astounding things were said about Jesus Christ that in Luke chapter 2, verse 33, it is stated, and Joseph and his mother were amazed at those things which were said about him. Notice, that's his parents now who've already been spoken to by the angels. But when they heard the people talking about him after his birth, Joseph and his mother were amazed at those things which were said concerning him. Jesus brought amazement even to Joseph and Mary because of what the people were saying about him. So we've got to ask the question, what was said about him that brought amazement? What was said about Jesus at his birth that brought amazement to the people as well as his parents? Have you ever been amazed at the birth of Jesus Christ during Christmas time? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What, an, what kind of child is this? Have you? Well, the questions really, I wonder what I can get for Christmas. Listen to verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Isn't that a lovely name? You shall name him Jesus. Friends, this is why I'm saying to you, please, do not give up reading the Christmas story to your children. It's a beautiful story. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the most high will overshadow you for that reason. The holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. These are precious words, my friends. You should read them over and over during this time of the year because this is what Christmas is all about and this is what brought amazing amazement and wonder and awe to those who saw this young baby called Jesus. You see, this text is telling us 
stating a tremendous, a stupendous truth. It is this. Jesus was an amazing child because he was the son of the Most High. That's what this entire paragraph is saying about Jesus. He was an amazing child because he was the son of the Most High. Verse 32 says, he will be great. That same statement was made in chapter 1, verse 15. Talking about John the Baptist, he says, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Even that statement was made concerning John the Baptist. He was great. But you see, Jesus was greater than John. John himself says, a greater. But Jesus, a greater than John is here. Speaking of Jesus Christ. A greater than John came to earth on that first Christmas. Now this word great means extraordinary, wonderful, splendid, magnificent, noble, distinguished, illustrious, eminent, powerful. That's what it means when he says that he will be great. It's intended to set Jesus apart from all others, even though they may be called great. Jesus is the greatest of the great. Now what made Jesus great? Do you think about that this Christmas? What made Jesus great? What astounded and amazed his parents? Luke tells us. Notice Luke refers to God as the most high God. The most high God. Some of us read those words and that's all they are. Words. The most high God. Meaning the highest God. The term speaks of the sovereignty of God. There's no one greater than God. And Jesus is the son of this great God. You see, my friends, Jesus was born a sovereign child. He was sovereign when he was born. Do you realize that? Oh, yes. He was there in a lowly manger. But he was a sovereign. He was great. Do you think about that? During Christmas? Have you really unwrapped the first Christmas gift that was ever given? Have you really unwrapped it? Or is it still hidden to you? What did you really get at Christmas? Do you know? Luke also uses the term in verse 35 where he records the angel as saying to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of who? The Most High will overshadow you. The power of the Most High. Can you have greater power than the power that comes from the Most High? That's how the miracle occurred. That's how Jesus was conceived in the womb of that virgin power of the Most High overshadowed her. Do you know what that means? If you do, please tell me. Because I don't. This is a statement of one of the greatest miracles ever to occur. And most Christians don't even think about it at all during Christmas time. And yet we say we celebrate Christmas. You say, Pastor, you're trying to give us a guilty conscience. If I can, I will.
Because you see, I believe we have allowed the culture to rob us of the Christ of Christmas. And it's time we take him back. But Jesus himself used the term in Luke 35, 635. He says, you will be the sons of the most high. He uses again in Acts chapter 7, verse 48. In fact, even the demons referred to Jesus as the most high, the son of the most high, even the demons. They think about him as the son of the most high. Do you? The point is this. Calling God the highest or the most high underscores the sovereignty of God. This is a statement of God's all-surpassing supremacy. There is no one higher than our God. There's no one on his level. There's no one above him. He is the greatest of the great and the highest above the high. That's our God. That's the God who gave the gift for his Christmas gift. Do you know who you got? At Christmas, this amazing gift. Do you know what you got? His sovereignty and supremacy covers all spheres, all dominions, all people. For instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8, it is said that he is sovereign over the nations. The most high, this scripture says, Divided to the nations their inheritance. He's above them. He's over them. In Psalm 47 verse 2 it says, The Lord most high is awesome. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. He is a great king over all the earth. Do you know what the word awful means? If I say to you that God is awful, do you think that's a positive statement? Yes, it is. Originally, we've turned the words around. Originally, the word awful simply meant what? Full of awe. God is full of awe. But we've turned it on to mean something that is not good. No, my friends. God is awesome and he is full of awe. He's a great God. Four times in Daniel's prophecy, twice in chapter 4, twice in chapter 5, he says, The Most High rules in the earth and gives the kingdoms over of men to whomsoever he will. He gives the kingdoms. He is sovereign over all. All of these verses then tell us that God the Most High is a sovereign God. Sovereign over nations. But something else. In 2 Samuel 22 verse 14. He tells us he is sovereign over nature. It's a description of God controlling the waters and the clouds and the skies and the lightning and the thunder and the seas and the rain. The text says the Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. What resulted? Rain and thunder and lightnings and storms. He is powerful. He's over all of nature. We'll see that reflected in his son later on. He stood on the bow of a tossing boat in the midst of a terrible storm. And he says, peace, be still. And there was peace. He has power over them. 
He was in control over all the created universe. So he is sovereign over the nations and he's sovereign over nature. But in Psalm 7, 17 and in Psalm 9, 2, the psalmist says that we are to sing praises to the Most High. Why? Because he's sovereign over the righteous, over the unrighteous. He's sovereign over the unsaved. Oh yeah, we think that we can go ahead and do what we want. The unsaved thinks that the ungodly, the people who are robbing and killing, thinking that, but God is sovereign over them. And he will answer to them. Psalm 46, 4 tells us he's sovereign over our redeemed, over the redeemed people as well. Not only over the unrighteous, but over the righteous, the redeemed. Daniel 7, 16 says, he, we are the saints of, notice now, we are the saints of the Most High. Do you realize that? We are the people of the Most High God, the Sovereign God, the highest of the highest. We are the people of the Most High God. Amen. Then in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 37, 38, it tells us that God the Most High is sovereign over all evil. Isn't that amazing? He's sovereign over all that is good. Notice what the verse has said. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? But is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? He is in control of everything. Hebrews 1 says, he, Jesus, is the express or the exact manifestation of God. In other words, in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. In that little baby boy there in that manger, he is and was God. That's what you got. It's Christmas. In Hebrews 1 verses 1 and 2, it says that God speaks to us today, how? Through his son. And he began from the moment he was born in that cradle. And verse 3 tells us he's exact replica of the father. He is the son of God. He's just like his father. He bears his father's life. He bears his father's nature. He bears his father's name. This is what the inspired author means. When he says that Jesus is the son of the most high. That's who you got for Christmas. It is the birth of this amazing child that Christmas is supposed to celebrate. How many of us are planning to celebrate Christmas with this in view? I know some people who own business will have Christmas parties celebrating Christmas and their Christians and they will never mention the name of Jesus at the party because it will offend the unbeliever. You have all your parties and Jesus Christ is never mentioned. And yet you're celebrating him. Hypocrisy. Do we really celebrate Jesus Christ for who he is? Or do we really celebrate ourselves? Do we plan our activities to revolve around our celebration and worship of him? Or do we plan our worship and celebrations of his birth around our activities? It's amazing how many Christians cannot be involved 
in worship experiences of the church because they have parties planned and they cannot be involved. But yet they're celebrating Christ. Isn't that amazing? Let me ask you, why is it that so few churches have services on Christmas Day? Because they want to rest from partying. Now, we can think about this and laugh about it and smile and we go home and we do nothing about it. Why? Because culture has so encultured us, so, so formed us, rather than re-transforming culture by our own life. Clothes for Christmas. You could put that on most of the churches in the Bahamas every Christmas day. Why are most churches closed on the day we celebrate the birth of the amazing, awesome, eternal, sovereign God? We could actually put up another sign. Closed for Christmas, celebrating at home, celebrating at the office, celebrating at the hotel, but not at church. That's an actual picture there, by the way. The picture, not, uh, not the bottom words at the home, but closed for Christmas. That's an actual picture of a church that gave the notice that they were not going to be open for Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and What happened to simply Christmas? What happened to simply Christmas? All the plans, everything planned for, except for Christmas Day. Amazing, isn't it? Why is it? Is it not because Christians are too involved celebrating the tradition itself? With all the worldly and commercial trimmings rather than the reasons for the tradition? And why is this? I believe it's because we really do not actually and practically appreciate who it was we got at Christmas. We don't. We really do not grasp the fact that it was God who was born on that first Christmas. Did you hear that statement? It was God who was born on that first Christmas. And yet we have people today who celebrate himself by drinking and acting immorally. The one who came to save sinners from their sin used the occasion to sin. It was God who became a baby. It was God who stooped to have his diapers changed 
by the very creatures he had made. It was God who nursed at Mary's breast. It was God who created and owned the treasures of the universe who became dependent upon two, two Jewish peasants to feed and clothe him. That was God. That's the wonder. That's the awe. That's the beauty. That's the mystery Christmas is all about. That's what it meant for Christ, the Son of God, to become Jesus, the Son of Man. So that we, the sons of men, may become the sons of God. That's why we should celebrate his sonship at Christmas time. Do you know who it is you got at Christmas? Tradition and the fear of man have nullified and neutralized the Christian's mandate to impregnate a Christless culture by impacting it with the culture of Jesus Christ who came to save us from our sins rather than it being the means of encouraging us to engage in them as we see manifested in greed and selfishness and carousing and doing everything else other than worshiping this, this indescribable unspeakable gift truly the son of God cannot be pleased with most of his family during this time of the year think about it no writer, I believe, more clearly shows us the meaning of the sonship of Christ and the Apostle John. <clears throat> I want to take a few moments to describe, using his words, this unique relationship that Jesus had with his father. In John chapter 5, and verse 16, and passages are telling us about the, le the, the healing of the lame man on the Sabbath. You remember the story, and the Jews came to attack him. And this is what John says. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is working until now and I myself am working. You see, Jesus claimed to be equal with God. And that's what he's doing in this passage of scripture, in this event, in this incident here. He claimed to be equal with God. He claimed to be equal in the nature with God. Look at verse 18. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Why? Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also he was calling God his own father. Notice, making himself equal with God. Do you know that this was the only charge that stuck with the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin that caused Jesus Christ to be crucified? Because he called this blasphemy. He claimed to be God. Jesus did not only claim to be God. He is God. Jesus is God. And that's who was born on that first Christmas as Emmanuel, God with us. To the Jewish mind to say, God is my father. It's to say that I am of the same essence, the same nature as God. And that's exactly what Jesus stated. 
That's exactly what the angel told Mary. He was the son of the Most High. Now what is so devastating to these Jewish people is that when Jesus said, my father and I are at work, he is claiming to be equal in nature with God because he's working, collaborating together in the things of God. That's why, by the way, Mark tells us in chapter 227 of his gospel, Sabbath was made for man. What is Jesus saying? Exactly what he says. The Sabbath was made for man, not for God. The Sabbath was not made for Jesus. Why? Because he's God. He's not subject to the Sabbath. He is the creator of the Sabbath. He simply ceased from his creative work. God did because it was finished. But he continues to work at holding his creation together by the word of his power and his active involvement in its sustenance. So when Jesus is saying here, what Jesus is saying here is, God pays no attention to the Sabbath. Why? Because the Sabbath was made for man, and I don't pay any attention to it either, because I am God. I made the Sabbath. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on another level than you are, he's saying to these Pharisees. God is working on the Sabbath, and I am working on the Sabbath because I am God, and I am the creator of the Sabbath. Sabbath does not apply to me. I am the son of the most high God who is above the Sabbath. Jesus thereby is affirming his deity and saying that he is equal in nature to God. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about this little baby. In the cave, in that trough. That's who, I'm, that's who I'm talking about. Jesus claimed to be equal in works with God. Notice the text. Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. Notice, something he sees the Father doing. This is in the present active tense. In other words, it's going on right then when he was talking. It's almost as though Jesus had a computer picture of everything God was doing and he was simply repeating it. Unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things, shows him all things, continuing thence, that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him that you may marvel. What is Jesus saying? Anything I do, I do in imitation. Of, no, not an imitation. I do it because the Father is doing it in and through me. Jesus claims to be equal and works with God. He says, whatever I do is exactly what God is doing. Therefore, if you're going to indict me for breaking your Sabbath, now here is the point Jesus is bringing home, then you are also indicting God the Father. So your argument, he is saying, is with God, not with me. He shuts them up. He shuts them up. Your argument is not with me. Your argument is with God. 
But more than that, he says that he and his father are not only equal in nature and equal in works, but also equal in power. Look at verse 21. Just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, Notice that, just as, same manner, same way. As the Father raises the dead and gives life, even so the Son also gives life, life to whomever he wishes. He is saying that he is, an equal, he is equal in power with God. God can raise the dead, so can I. And I can raise whoever I desire to raise. I'm God. He says, I have the same power to raise the dead physically and spiritually that God does. We are equal in power. In verse 26, he says, as the father has life in himself, so is he given, so he gives to the son to have life in himself. That little baby. Think about it now this Christmas. That little baby was the source of all life. All life had their origin in that little baby. That little baby did not have to look outside of himself for life. He was life. He is life. That's who was born. That first Christmas. Do you know who you got at Christmas? But Jesus also claimed to be equal in authority with God. By the way. In verse 26, he says, as the father has life in himself, so is he given to the son to have life in himself. Remember this now. He was a son of the most high. Therefore, he bears the name of the most high. The word the most high is the Old Testament El Elyon. Jesus is claiming to be equal with El Elyon. God, the Almighty One. In fact, he is claiming to be El Elyon. That's who was born there. El Elyon. Who? This Emmanuel? Yes. God with us. The Almighty One. The Sovereign One. That's who was born there. This invites worship. Praise. Not carousing. But then in verse 22, Jesus says he's equal in judgment. He said, the father judges no man, but he has committed all judgment to the son. Verse 27 has the same idea. He's given him authority to execute judgment also. Why? Because he is the son of man. In verse 30 he says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. So what is he saying? God is judging. God is judging. Jesus is judging. God has given all judgment over to his son. And then in verse 23, he says that he is deserving of equal honor as God. All men should honor the son. Notice this now. All men should honor the son even as they honor the father. You could put worship. You could put reverence there. All men should worship, should reverence that little baby. Even as they honor and reverence and worship the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who has sent him. I just wonder how many of us are going to be honoring the son the way we celebrate this Christmas. 
Jesus is saying that he's deserving of equal honor as the Father, the Most High God, El Elyon. You cannot honor God, he says, without honoring me. You cannot honor Jesus without honoring the Father. They go hand in hand. That's what it means to be the Son of the Most High God. That's who we are to celebrate and honor at Christmas time. The Son of the Most High. Notice the terminology all through the passage. Father, Son, Father, Son, Father, Son. The Son of the Most High. Whatever is true of the Father is true of the Son. And what the Father-Son relationship of God and Christ intends to communicate is equality of nature, equality of work, equality of power, equality of authority, equality of judgment, and equality of honor. That little baby there, born in a manger, deserves all the honor, all the reverence, all the worship we can give to God the Father himself. Jesus is God. You've heard it before. But have you thought about it, what it really means? And so when the angel says to Mary that he will be called the son of the highest, he's saying that this is the son of God who's equal in every way with the father. And when Jesus claimed that God was his father, the Jews knew exactly what he is saying. But many of us don't today. We hear the words, but we don't know what it means. These Jews, when they heard, they understood it. They were ready to kill him. What does it mean to us when we say that Jesus is God? <laughs> I knew that. I learned that in Sunday school when I was two years old. It makes no effect, no difference to our lives. One thing you could say with these unbelieving Jews, they lived out their unbelief. Yes, their belief was unbelief, but they lived it out. You should be killed, you should be stoned because you said you were the Son of God. Are we living out our convictions about who this child was? And friends, Jesus is the greatest gift of all. That's all I'm trying to say here to us. So as you open all the packages and everything else, remember this. Jesus is the greatest gift of all. And if you have owned him as your savior, you've got the best Christmas gift you can ever get. If you haven't done son, the best is still waiting for you. And you can receive him today. The sad thing is that many people today claim to believe that Jesus is God, but they do not act on that belief during Christmas time especially. They celebrate themselves and their tradition rather than the birth of the Son of the Most High. This amazing child of Christmas, I say, is God. Just imagine what must have been going through Mary's mind when she finally got the message proclaimed by the angel. This holy child. He's the son of the most high. Just imagine how Mary must have felt when she came to realize who it was 
she was carrying in her womb. That's the wonder of Christmas. Those are the things that should boggle our minds and should occupy our minds during this time of the year. Mary's mind, I believe, was thinking, what an incredible, amazing, astonishing, astounding, unbelievable thing this is to have the son of the most high in my womb. This little baby that I will bear for nine months, that I will hold in my arms, that I will nurse at my breast. This is the son of the most high God manifest in flesh. Wonder of wonders. That's what Christmas is all about. Matthew responds to the birth of Christ and emphasizes this amazing phenomenon. How is it that God could be born in a human womb? This is what Matthew says. She was found with child by the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says, that which is conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. Verse 23 says, the virgin shall be with child. She shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being translated is God with us. The child is God. And the child was conceived without a human father. God planted a seed in Mary to bring into being the God-man, the son of the most high God. Do you know who you got for Christmas? So the first amazing message then that came to the parents of Jesus was that this child would be God, God the Lord. So I ask you, do you really know what you got for Christmas? Do you know something? The older writers of the Christmas carols knew what they got. I'm not too sure about some modern day ones. But the older ones, the traditional Christmas carols, these authors, they knew who they got. Listen to some of these familiar lines. Joy to the world. The Lord, that's Yahweh, has come. Yea, Lord, we greet thee born this happy morning. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Jesus our Emmanuel. Yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. We sing, O Come to us, abide with us, our Lord who? Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, it says, come abide with us. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. We sing, the virgin's sweet boy is the Lord of the earth. We sing, word of the Father now in flesh appearing. How that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by name. God with man is now residing, suddenly the Lord descending. We sing, thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown, whence thou camest to earth for me. And we often sing also, 
the father gave his son, gave his only beloved one. You don't hear some of these things in modern songs today, but the traditional carols knew what they got for Christmas. The writers of all the Christmas cards mark out for us the reality that this child is God. The writers of these hymns, this child is God. But finally, Jesus was an amazing child because he was the son of the Most High. He was a sovereign child when he was born. How are you going to worship this child this Christmas? Will you worship Jesus Christ as a child of the Most High God? The way you celebrate Christmas will tell. closing please repeat this with me at this time thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift will you worship him in this fashion this Lord's Day